1: This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Remy, Dungeon Master and a player on the Riftquake podcast.
0: I'm Mitch, a player on Riftquake and a D&D
1: enthusiast. And today's topic is the Evil Overlord List. <laughs> so today we are going to be focusing on something not in the Dungeons and Dragons rules but something that is honestly just very amusing to both Mitch and myself that has a lot of good information in it that can be applied to Dungeons and Dragons. So with that in mind, Mitch, what is the evil overlord list?
0: It is a really old list of like the common sense things you should do as a villain that nobody does in popular media. You know, like when the villain points behind you when you're fighting on a moving platform and ducks, You should duck too, not turn around quizzically.
1: Or just dash forward so that they are between you and the thing. But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit. Uh, Yeah, this is just one of those, like at this point, kind of just older internet sensations. that just has a lot of really good advice. So let me just read through the introduction here, and then we'll start just going down some parts of the list that can't be applied to AP and Being an evil overlord seems to be a good career choice. It pays well, there's all sorts of perks, and you can set your own hours. However, every evil overlord I've read about in books or seen in movies invariably gets overthrown and destroyed in the end. I've noticed that no matter whether they are barbarian lords, deranged wizards, mad scientists, or alien invaders, they always seem to make the same basic mistakes every single time. With that in mind, allow me to present the top 100 things I'd do if I ever became an evil overlord. Number one. My legions of terror have helmets with clear plexiglass visors, not face-concealing ones. So, classic example from a sci-fi, instead of actually having to go the fantasy route, Star Wars. A very original one, New Hope. They beat up some stormtroopers and take their clothes in order to sneak around. This is a really goddamn common trope and absolutely one that could be applied to d and like If you have a place with particularly well-armored guards to the point where they have helmets, then yeah, it would make sense that your party might decide to beat them up and take their clothes. Or another route that I always see, Cultists always have large hooded cloaks, and always the party beats up some cultists that are on their own and takes those cloaks in order to hide and infiltrate. So if you have a bad guy that just has non-concealing clothes, how about that? They can't be snuck up on as easily, and they just don't look as suspicious as a bunch of cultists. So, I am not going to go through all 300 aspects of this, because that would just take hours. Maybe someday, but for the sake of just a single episode or two, probably not the best idea. But there are a lot of these that just do offer good advice. And I'm, I'm not even going to be able to go through just the ones that I like, because I like most of them. So, honestly, this is probably going to go rather long. I'm not sorry. My noble half-brother, whose throne I usurped, will be killed, not kept anonymously imprisoned in a forgotten cell of my dungeon. This happens a lot in fantasy, actually, and is another one, though, that could very easily be applied to D&D. However, there would also be the added caveat that I would say, which is... It would be also is a good idea to destroy the body, because there's a lot of forms of resurrection in D&D, but only true resurrection will actually be sufficient if you do destroy the body. So, a smart bad guy really should destroy the bodies of your enemies. So, this is something that a DM should consider cautiously, because that is a massive dick move to just be very heavy with Disintegrate, or to just, you know, toss corpses into a furnace after you're able to like defeat half the party and let the other half escape. Like, there's a lot of ways this could be interpreted, many of which are flat-out evil on the DM side. So use cautiously. This is something that could be a good way to demonstrate that a very particular bad guy is smart and cautious and calculating like if you want a big bad to show that they are such a capable villain then that is something that could be used <laughs> uh classic shooting is not too good for my enemies absolutely goddamn lewdly. there are so many times where it's like Oh, no, you you know, you won't fight me mano a mano? No, no, just if you have a good guy or a bad guy in a vulnerable situation, again, it is logical to take advantage of that fact. If you want to portray a villain as the honorable sort, well, that is arguably a character flaw for a villain, which can be a rather interesting interpretation. Of that aspect and just a interesting character trait. Uh, Actually, instead of me going down the list, do you want to just pick out a couple to for us to go over?
0: Oh, let's see here. What's a good one? Because it like this whole thing started on our bank episode.
1: Yeah, like we just brought it up and it just did come up. That a lot of this is D and D applicable and just fun. All right,
0: here here's a good one. Number 11, I will be secure in my superiority. Therefore, I will feel no need to prove it by leaving clues in the form of riddles, or leaving my weaker enemies alive to show they pose no threat.
1: Yes! absolutely. And this is another that can be particularly dangerous to the party, because it is very common for a DD and d party to have one individual who goes ahead as the scout alone. Even though something that would be on the D&D list is don't split the party. That happens a lot. And it is also not uncommon that they do, you know, knock something over, fail a stealth check, what have you, that does get them caught. And it is something to consider to have a character have a bad end because they do get caught. Like, it is logical to really discourage splitting the party because a single D&D character is vulnerable. So, yeah, this is absolutely something that can be well-applied to D&D. But even besides that, the leaving clues aspect. Like, it is another pretty common villain trait, you know, even in D&D, that there are clues offered by the DM to allow them to track down the big bad. But... You don't have to do that as a DM. Like a smart bad guy shouldn't leave obvious clues. They shouldn't leave a goddamn calling card when they're the ones to do it. That is not how you have a successful life for any considerable amount of time as a big bad. A general, yeah, just don't do that. So honestly, if you want to have a lasting big bad, that's the thing you shouldn't do because okay let me put it this way actually i want to have a villain who let's just say is a lich this lich has probably been around for a few hundred years the thing is most people and places in dnd really hate liches for good goddamn reason so if they find out that there's a lich Well, that's the kind of thing that might be rather troublesome. So a smart lich should probably try to hide the fact that they're a lich. So, if you just have a lich with a hat of disguise, a goddamn uncommon magic item, you can just have them appear to be someone or something else, just something normal. And if you do just use something like the hat of disguise, they can just change their form to make it look like they age as normal, change their identity every century or so, every 50, you know, whatever the situation is relevant for your world, that's really smart on the bad guy's part. And at the same time, makes it a lot harder for good guys to track him down. And that's how it should be for a lich who is a centuries-old villain. Uh, Sorry, went a bit hard on that one. Uh, Next Uh, up? I will hire a talented fashion designer to create
0: original uniforms for my Legion of Terror, as opposed to cheap knockoffs and make them look like Nazi stormtroopers, Roman foot soldiers, or savage Mongol hordes. All were eventually defeated, I want my troops to have a more positive mindset.
1: (laughs) Yes. So... There's actually a few aspects of that that just come to mind with me. Just for my troops to have a positive mindset is an interesting detail that's kind of here as a joke, but I actually take rather seriously. There are so many times where the bad guy gets taken down due to, like, betrayal, or due to just having ineffective troops having confident, capable troops is really goddamn dangerous. Like, even if, like, let's say that, you know, your world just has limits on, you know, how strong most individuals get. So let's say that, okay, instead of guards, like, you actually allow them to have, like, level three fighters as their troops. So you have, like, a level, you know, 12, 15 party, whatever the case may be. But if you have a dozen level 3 fighters that are willing to fight to the death for their lich boss, that is powerful in terms of action economy, in terms of just morale, of just having these guys throw themselves at the party. Especially if you also consider, like, a good magic using boss that might have access to resurrection, whether themselves or a trusted lieutenant, then if you do actually have mooks that are willing to fight to the death, knowing that they'll get brought back, and then the players will might, you know, realize after the second or third fight that they're just fighting the same guys over and over again. It's not just the same, you know, nice quality unicorns, but that it is in fact the same individuals. That's cool and good storytelling. All right, so I actually want to skip back up the list to one more that is a common D&D thing as well. I will not interrogate my enemies in the Inner Sanctum. A small hotel well outside my borders will work just as well. That's one that I see a lot where, again, you allow someone to get captured so that, you know, you can find out where the fortress is or so that you can just have someone on the inside to, you know, sneak out and disable, you know, the barrier that does surround the place, or disable the traps, or, you know, distract the guards, you know, what have you. Have uh, someone on the inside. But for that exact reason, a smart bad guy really just shouldn't do that. Oh, man. Number 17. When I employ people as advisors, I will occasionally listen to their advice. Nah. Ugh. (laughs) <laughs> that's just such a goddamn problem bro. all right another one from you no matter how tempted
0: i am with the prospect of unlimited power i will not consume any energy field bigger than my head
1: <laughs> yes this is actually another one that really like is a canon d problem because there are Multiple situations where someone does try ascending in power in some fashion to a just comically terrible result. Um, actually, how about this? You're familiar with, you know, ninth level spells like Wish and such. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of tenth level spells? Don't believe I have. How about eleventh level spells? Nope. How about 12th level spell? Nope. And please do note that that last one that I said, spell. Singular. There was once one attempt at a 12th level spell, and this is... This is def- this is something, you know, in Forgotten Realms history. Karsis' avatar? Where there was this magic user that tried to make... <laughs> cast a spell... To become a God and not just a god, but to basically become the god of magic, which there, there already was one, so basically to take over as the god of magic, and uh, it didn't go well, and there's a reason and that actually is one of the reasons that there isn't epic level magic in newer editions of D&D, like the lore in world, is that the gods basically said, yeah, no, we're gonna not let you fucking mortals try that shit again. So, trying to consume an energy field larger than your head is absolutely a canonical no-no in D&D, which very much does not Honestly, actually, one near that on the list. One of my favorites, just because it, it amuses me, Number 24. I will maintain a realistic assessment of my strengths and weaknesses. Even though this takes some of the fun out of the job, at least I will never utter the line, No! This cannot be! I am invincible! After that, death is usually instantaneous. <laughs> Man, that is... Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I, I think that that's just an obvious one. There's so many examples of that, just from D D, from other forms of fiction. That, well, yeah, uh, my pet monster will be I was kept
0: literally in... about to say
1: that. <laughs> yes, will be kept in a secure cage from which it cannot escape and into which I could not accidentally stumble. It is a really good idea in D and D. Have a something like a pet gelatinous cube. If you just have a pit with a gelatinous cube stuck inside it, and you just toss your enemies into it, that is, number one, a horrible way to die just for anyone tossed in the pit. Something that is incredibly difficult to get out of, but at the same time, you don't want to fall into the classic billet trap of just falling into the pet's you know, cage yourself. So, yeah, have it not with, like, a walkway that goes right over it. Not with, you know, a trapdoor in the floor, like, you know, the Rancor in Jabba's Palace. There's so many times that this one comes into effect as well. So I did steal yours, but another one from you? I will not turn into a snake, it never helps. (laughs) Nope. Voldemort. Uh... Yeah, Actually, the, uh, this scene was made before Harry Potter, wasn't it? Uh, I don't think so. Also, Voldemort never actually turned into a snake. He just was snake-like, but he's close enough. Urochimaru didn't help. Yeah, it, it just doesn't tend to go well. And yet it is a very common theme for villains. Okay, here's a good one for d and I will not imprison members of the same party in the same cell block, let alone the same cell. If they're important prisoners, I will keep the only key to the cell door on my person, instead of handing out copies to every bottom-run guard in the prison. Jesus, acts the fucking lewdly That... Gah. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah.
0: I will be neither chivalrous nor sporting. If I have an unstoppable superweapon, I will use it as early and as often as possible instead of keeping it in reserve.
1: Yeah! Uh, actually, to, to so Star Wars fails on this list a lot, but I'm just going to use another Star Wars example. Okay, when the battle of the Death Star, the first Death Star is happening, they mention that it's taking the Death Star 30 minutes to go around the planet to attack the moon that the Rebels are on. They're on the Death Star, which seems to actually have hyperspace, but they don't use that. But also, it's the Death Star. If you blow up the planet that the moon is orbiting, that takes care of the problem! Instead of waiting to target them directly, how about just... Use the super weapon that you're in! And preparing to use! Just push that button 30 minutes earlier! <laughs> Actually, another uh, potential Star Wars apple. I will only employ bounty hunters who work for money. Those who work for the pleasure of the hunt tend to do dumb things, like even the odds to give the other guy a sporting chance.
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Yeah. Just honestly, every single thing on this list can be applied to d so very, very easily. <laughs> uh,
0: if I learn that a callow youth has begun yes! to destroy I me, I will slay him while he's still a callow youth instead of waiting for him to mature.
1: Absolutely. Jesus is this one that applies to d There are so many times where there might be a prophecy of some sort, or that there might be a situation where, like, you, you know, kill some, ad- you know, couple of adventurers, and then find out they have a child that has sworn revenge. And then, you, ju- you know, they make some kind of statement like, oh, it's just a child, what can they do? Now, nothing. But if you wait 20 years, that's probably going to be a big goddamn problem. So yeah, just kill someone before they become a problem is a smart villain thing to do. Oh man, I'm happy you mentioned that. I was looking at that one at that moment. Ooh, actually, right below that, another good one. 48. I will treat any beast which I control through magic or technology with respect and kindness! Thus, if the control is ever broken, it will not immediately come after me for revenge. That was going to be my next one. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, yeah. I mean, this is something that, again, comes up a lot. Like you have, you know, the pet dragon that the bad guy, you know, is allied with, but it is enslaved through, you know, terrible magics and then the party finds this out and frees it, and it immediately just, like, turns around and chomps the bad guy in half. Just, yeah, just having some amount of courtesy for the beasts you control, your legions of terror, it really does make for a more effective evil organization. (sighs) Ah. Okay, I will hire a team of board-certified architects and surveyors to examine my castle and inform me of any secret passages and abandoned tunnels that I might not know about. <laughs> because, again, all these D&D dungeons and castles and what have you always have like that secret back way through, or the extra tunnel, or the escape route that was you know, owned by the person that they killed to take the castle from. Uh, actually, the one below that is also a good one. If the beautiful princess that I capture says, I'll never marry you! Never! Do you hear me? Never! I will say, oh well, and kill her.
0: Oh, uh, there's so many good ones that are like tied in with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, there really are. Uh, I will not strike a bargain with a demonic being, then attempt to double-cross it simply because I feel like being contrary. Yeah. Yeah, double-crossing a being that might own your soul is just a bad idea. Like, oh man, not to mention just any, like, that could be a thing with demons, that could be a thing with just, yeah, there's a lot of bad things in the D&D multiverse that you really just shouldn't fuck over.
0: Here's a good one. Before employing any captured artifacts or machinery, I'll carefully read the owner's manual.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of those, you know, artifacts might have peculiarities to them, like, you know, oh, you know, this only works for someone who is lawful good, and if someone attunes to it who is not lawful good, they become lawful good. That would be a bit unfortunate for certain evil overlords. I don't like forced alignment change in that way, but it'd be a kind of funny comeuppance in certain worlds. But Actually, that could be a kind of interesting story, kind of thing, of it. Imagine if, like, the whole story of a D&D game is the idea that, like, you have a former evil overlord that did just attune to some artifact that turned them lawful good, and they suddenly feel regret at all of their previous actions. Marshall credit card bill. <laughs> oh, man. My legions of terror will be trained in basic marksmanship. Any who cannot learn to hit a man-sized target at 10 meters will be used for target practice. Yeah. Yeah! And again, especially in D&D, if you consider action economy. If you're, you have an evil overlord with legions of terror... Legions are fucking terrifying in 5th edition because action economy. If you have an enormous castle that is guarded by 50 men, then even if you only have, you know, 10 guys that are on the front wall that have, you know, let's just even say they all have longbows and are just trained in basics of using. Okay. So even if you have disadvantage for firing at long range, 600 feet of kill zone with 10 guys firing at you, even at disadvantage. I don't care how high level your party is, 10 shots every round crossing 600 feet is not nothing. Especially, again, if you have them trained in basic tactics as well. If you have them learn to target, oh, that guy is wearing a robe and is carrying a staff, that one should probably die first before he can kill us all with a fireball. Because fireball, again, if they're trained in the basics, to know that fireball can be fired from 150 feet, longbows can fire up to 600 feet. So if you can kill the wizard... Before they get to that range, you're more likely to not die. And just having just that numerical advantage, strategy, tactics for your mooks makes them far more dangerous, even if they are still mooks mechanically. (sighs) Okay, there's a whole series related to the next one that I want to make sure that I get. At least some of them, together. Yeah. So, jumping back up, number 12. One of my advisors will be an average five-year-old child. Any flaws in my plan that they're able to spot will be corrected before implementation. That is deceptively dangerous. Because if you do consider just a sanity check with child logic check as well, that is. Way more likely to make a villain a very dangerous individual, because yeah, kids are going to just say what they think. So if there is obvious flaws in the plan, or obvious mistakes that they might make, then yeah, that is exactly the kind of thing that would be much, much more dangerous. And then there's another one related to that. My five-year-old child advisor will also be asked to decipher any code I'm thinking. If they break the code, it will not be used. Note, this also applies to passwords. So yeah, don't use passwords that the five-year-old child advisor can guess. <laughs> Actually, one more on the advisor front. When I create a presentation of my plan, designed so that my five-year-old advisor can easily understand the details, I will not label it Project Overlord and leave it lying on top of my desk. So this also goes back to the whole, don't leave obvious clues. Just don't. I will, see,
0: I will see a competent psychiatrist cured of all extremely unusual phobias and bizarre compulsive habits
1: with which could prove to be a uh, disadvantage. Absolutely. So, okay, good example, I myself. Like, it's come up often that I am a germaphobe. So, if I were to be an over- evil overlord, it would be horrible for me if I just, like, someone just, like, cast the Grease spell and I got stick, let alone the many, many worse things that could potentially be done, I would be completely disabled. So, yeah, seeing a psychiatrist do not have such an obvious psychological weakness would be a brilliant idea that is not nearly often enough done. <laughs> uh, so honestly, not as much for D anD D, but just good logic and funny. Bulk trash will be disposed of in incinerators, not compactors, and they will be kept hot. With none of that nonsense about flames going through accessible tunnels at predictable intervals. Uh, oh, actually, one that is great for D. If my advisors ask. Why are you risking everything on such a mad scheme? I will not proceed until I have a response that satisfies them. Yeah, I thought about bringing that one up. Yeah, that is a good goddamn point. If you actually have advisors, again, going back to listen to your advisor's advice, if they ask you a question like that, then again, there's probably something wrong with the plan, and you should, again, ask questions until everyone is satisfied or if there's just a detail that they were unaware of that makes it make sense. Again, trust your advisors if they are indeed your trusted advisors. <sighs> I will spare someone who saved my life sometime in the past. This is only reasonable and encourages others to do so. However, the offer is good one time only. If they want me to spare them again, they better save my life again. Honestly, that's one that's probably underappreciated. I really like that one. Because it is pretty often where you might have that, like, face that is falling apart around you and the bad guy themselves, you know, does get trapped, but someone in the party does have, you know, some way to save them and is a good enough person that they decide to try to save the bad guy. Again, if you have a reputation as a bad guy for respecting individuals that save you, it encourages others To not just leave you to die. And, again, if your goal as an evil overlord is to not die, which could be one of your goals, then yeah, that's really goddamn relevant. Ah. Actually, another great one for me. When my guards split up to search for intruders, they always travel in groups of at least two. They will be trained so that if one of them disappears mysteriously while on patrol, the other will immediately initiate an alert and call for backup instead of quizzically peering around the corner. That happens a lot in d where you do have, like, the couple of guys patrolling, and the party does just manage to you know, ambush them and take them down before they're able to trigger the alert. Like, that is, honestly, a really, really common thing to happen in the game so having it be where oh as soon as you get ambushed instead of trying to you know fight adventurers which are just not gonna go well for these moves you just have them start yelling intruder intruder that's a reasonable thing to do and just a good thing to train your legions of terror to do
0: here's a good one if all the heroes are standing together around a strange device and begin to taunt me, I will pull out, pull out a conventional weapon instead of using my unstoppable super weapon on them.
1: <laughs> oh man, yeah. There are a lot of situations for that weapon. Where, again, if you have an unstoppable super weapon, the good guys will probably try to come up with a jamming device or something that will reflect that specific frequency that it fires or some such thing. So just pulling out, you know, a normal gun, or I guess in D&D, just firing off normal spells. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, man. If I decide to test a lieutenant's loyalty and see if they should be made a trusted lieutenant, I will have a crack squad of marksmen standing by in case the answer is no. Uh, yeah, trust but verify, have backup plans. It's just smart. Yeah, pairing
0: with that, if I have a fit of temporary insanity and decide to give the hero a chance to reject the job as a, a job as my trusted lieutenant, I'll retain enough sanity to wait until my current trusted lieutenant is out of your shop before making the offer.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Absolutely. There are so many times where, like, you know, yeah, they have like an air that is in the room and you say, like, Join me, you know, I will make you my heir. And meanwhile, the other guy's are like, wait, what? What the hell, man? And then sudden but inevitable betrayal. But again, or just have multiple job slots open for trusted lieutenant. And also, if you are planning to re- try to recruit one of the heroes, just tell your current trusted lieutenant that. And just say like, hey. Like we're ta- we're actually doing pretty good at the whole taking over the country thing. So, we're the two of us have actually been rather stretched thin lately. If the, we can convince the hero to join us, well, they're actually really well suited for this particular, you know, branch of Evil Inc to make our workload lighter. So, please, you know, so don't be surprised that I am planning to offer them this job with us. I'm not replacing you, they are simply to take on some of our duties. Okay? Open and honest communication would just solve so many problems just in anything, whether it is a movie, game, everything. (sighs) Here we go. I will not tell my legions of terror, and he must be taken alive. The command will be, and try to take him alive if it is reasonably practical. Stop taking my (laughs) comment. Was it really going to be that one? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, bitch.
0: All right, fine. If my weakest troops fail to eliminate a hero, I will send out my best troops instead of wasting time with progressively stronger ones as he gets closer and closer to my fortress.
1: So that one is really practical, but also really dangerous when it comes to d and Like, let's say you do have a big bad evil guy that does have the party of adventurers inconvenience something that they are trying to do. And yeah, so let's say that you are in a situation where you have like an, like a good, powerful, sorry, not good, but, you know, powerful, competent lich who does have lots of more powerful undead under their forces, but that the party is just like a low-level group that just finds some moops that are just retrieving corpses from a graveyard that are just to be raised into additional forces, so there's an inconvenience, then yeah. The typical trope version is that oh no they've beaten you know the skeletons so now you send in the zombies and then after the zombies you send in the ghouls and after the ghouls you send in the gas and after the gas you send in the whites and so on and so on and so on. But if you do have you know more powerful things like if you do have you know death knights or just some of the just stupidly strong things that do exist in fifth edition. Me, then yeah the smart thing would be to just send that after the party but that i would argue can very easily cross the line into just fuck you i win type dming which i'm not exactly fond of give him a the skills check
0: challenge to get away
1: that would be a great way to do it You send the power, like, the powerful, you know, you send the trusted lieutenant after them. And yeah, because it is just a single creature, they might get inconvenienced enough to let the party escape, while also now letting the party know, oh shit, they have this powerful ally with them. So yeah, that would be a great way to do that kind of situation. But if you actually did, like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna send, you know, 30 CR10 guys after a fifth level party, party's fucked. There's nothing that they can really do about that. So, yeah. Well, if they, they beat okay.
0: my CR one quarter guards, I guess I'm going to have to send in an ancient dragon.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, Draco Lich. Yeah, or, like, even if for a stupid undeads, so you're sent, like, uh... okay, yeah, in Kanoke, you've got storm giant skeletons that are a 16 CR. And can shoot lightning that deals uh twelve d eight on a recharge five six. So yeah, if you just sent one of those at a party, they'd be pretty fucked. If you sent ten of those at a city, they'd probably be fucked. Ah, <sighs> man, that actually been pretty cool for a high level game. Like, you find out that just like a bunch of tribes of giants are just getting killed for unknown reasons it's just because there's a lynch just trying to erase all the skeletons that's pretty cool for Island. but anyway <sighs> <laughs> going back to uh what i mentioned at the very very
0: very start of the show i'm fighting a hero atop a moving platform i've disarmed him and about to finish him off and he glances behind me and drops flat i too will drop flat instead of quizzically turning
1: around to find out what he saw Absolutely. So very often, it is something that just shrapnel, or just something that would just slice them in half, or stab them, or like some kind of swooping creature. Yeah, just drop flat. It it is a smart thing to do.
0: Really, this this section of the list is a uh, a lot of good ones here. <laughs> there really is. Yeah. If I'm
1: eating dinner with the hero, put poison in his goblet, and then leave the table for any reason, I'll order new drinks for both of us instead of trying to decide whether or not to switch with him. Unless, mm. of course, you all, you're you immune to Iocane okay power.
0: <laughs> I will not have captives of one sex guarded by members of the opposite sex.
1: Yeah, that's pretty reasonable. It is also a very common trope for someone to just seduce their way out of jail, but given bards in D&D, I would just say have guards that just don't have any sex drive at all. And even then, that only means that it's a 50-50 shot. Like, honestly, if you just had a war for that was totally genderless, I'd still have some concern that the bard would seduce it.
0: Ah, uh, here's a great one. I will not use any plan in which the final step is horribly com- complicated, for example, Align the 12 stones of power on the sacred altar, then activate the medallion at the moment of the total eclipse. Instead, it'll be more along the lines of push the button.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that is... That's something that actually happens a lot in D&D. Like, if you look at pretty much any adventure module, a lot of them do have things like that, where, you know, to summon Tiamat into the material plane, you must have these four altars activated, blah, 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 blah.
0: On the 7th Tuesday of the week, after a guy named Mark stubs his toe. Ugh.
1: Yeah, you try to do the ritual only to find out he goes by Mark, but that's really his middle name. <laughs> like, honestly, that kind of stuff just can get so dumb and complicated that, yeah, having a bad guy's plan just be do the thing. Done. That makes sense.
0: Here's one going back to, uh, you know, it's like you're... you're Utter minions fail, so you send your your toughest guy out at them. And then skill check challenge, they get away. If a group of henchmen fail miserably at a task, I'll not berate them for confidence and send them, send the same group out to try a task again.
1: Uh-huh. So, honestly, a kind of silly example of that, Team Rocket in the original Pokémon anime. Like, they are trying to do the same thing over and over and over For, I don't even know how many seasons that show went on. And yet, they're not terrible. Like, their Pokemon are actually pretty strong. So if they just went after anyone else where it just was a better matchup, where, you know, Arbox and Weezing's Poison might work better against the ones they target, they might actually succeed at a task every now and then instead of just failing to just take that one Pikachu. and really like in d this could very much apply as well if you do have a bunch of like a bunch of you know your mooks that did like lose to the party you resurrect them and then you just send them again the party is just going to be stronger so that's just not going to have any kind of improved result so, yeah, having a bad guy that sends adequate forces after the thing that they are trying to accomplish, it's a smart thing to do, and yet is so very rare.
0: After I capture the hero's super weapon, I will not immediately disband my legions and relax my guard,
1: because I believe whoever holds the weapon is unstoppable. After all, the hero held the weapon, and I took it from him. <laughs> yeah. I will not design my main control room so that every workstation is facing away from the door. Dude. Okay, even in D&D. Yeah, even in D&D, how often is the situation? Like, the rogue cracks open the door to peek into the room, but nobody notices that the door is partially open because everyone just is distracted or facing the wrong way. That happens a lot, and it should. Because again, quick reminder about stealth and hiding. If they can see you, it doesn't matter if you roll a 30 on your stealth check. If you're not invisible, you're standing in the open and they can see you. (sighs) Ugh. (laughs) <laughs> if I decide to hold a double execution of a hero and an underling who failed to betray me, I will see to it that the hero is scheduled to go. To ah, yeah. yeah generally,
0: just, try to avoid the last minute rescue.
1: Yeah, the it is always a last minute rescue. It is always when things are so very close, and so yeah, just ah. again. I I do feel the need to reiterate, a dungeon master can cross lines with some of the reasoning in this list into making a TPK or unwinnable situation. There is a lot of this that should be implemented. But again, most bad guys lose because of a fatal flaw such as arrogance. So, any individual villain in your world probably should try to follow most of this, but is likely to have one that just doesn't suit their style, which is likely to be the thing that is to be their undo. On the other hand, if you do want to truly make a big bad evil guy, just is so goddamn dangerous because they are that competent. Go for it. I would love to see or hear about like a higher level of D game where it is like a pretty capable party of adventurers that are just trying to cross wits with a competent evil overlord that does follow everything on this list. So it truly requires the party to put their all into figuring out what they're up to, figuring out how to report their plans, because the bad guy isn't making the obvious mistake that are usually relied on for such situations. Again, for low-level parties, be cautious, but this could be an amazing set of circumstances for medium or higher parties. And again, I did start with this by mentioning the idea of a lich, it is entirely possible that you have a much, much, much weaker individual that just is rich. And so they are just a villain, but not a powerful character by D&D standards. So you might even make the choice to actually have an evil overlord who is a commoner, but is just really smart and just competent. So it might very well be that if the party ever actually manages to get in the same room as them, they're fucked. But that, therefore, they do everything in their considerable you know, abilities to not ever be in the same room as the party. Like, there are a lot of angles that you can use to take this. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rifts and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riftwaypodcast. To your start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to a monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Rifts and Rules topics. Find us on social media on Twitter, at Rift Wake Podcast on Facebook as RiftWake, and you can send us an email, riftsandrules at gmail.com. That's Rifts, A-N-D, rules at gmail.com.